You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. So welcome to week two of our new series, Amazing Jesus. Last weekend, our missionary friend from the, to the Muslim world, Jameson Creel, opened our series. Um, and and um, he brags on you often when I speak to Jameson. He speaks about how much he loves being here uh, among you and how, how warm of a reception that you always give him. And I hope you enjoy his ministry as well. Um, the land in the book, is a, he said like 75 people signed up for that podcast or something like that. I can tell you, he is, he is a walking encyclopedia in that part of the world. Um, I see a mission trip to Greece in our, in our future. Um, when Angie, uh, my administrative assistant, saw that I was speaking on this series uh, on Mark, she said, it's about time. And, and so I, I, I questioned, I just, I thought maybe that was her favorite, her favorite book, her favorite gospel. And she said, well, no, 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 it's not that. She said that your, your file on sermons on the book of Matthew is like this big. And then Luke is about this big. And then John's about this big. And she said, Mark is about this big. And so I'll no longer be deciding what my sermon series are. I'm just going to ask Angie. Um, <laughs> What, what, uh, what theological or biblical uh, books have I overlooked? She's been filing them for 16 years. She has filed 16 years worth of sermons by topic and text. So I'm just going to defer to her. Each gospel writer has his own personality. He has his own style, his own purpose, and his own audience. And when, when you read and ingest all four of the Gospels is when you get the most rounded picture of Jesus as, as he was when he was here. In fact, you can go through all of those in Life 180 through the New Testament uh, in 40 days. It takes you only 13 days to get through all the Gospels, but I'll tell you by experience, it feels like 30 um, these are long chapters. Um, they are chock full of, uh, of material around Jesus. Um, and Mark uh, arranges his material in an uncomfortable way for a Western reader. We, we like to read things from start to finish. We like to read chronological happenings, and yet Mark is completely disinterested in how we would like to read his gospel. Mark arranges things by context and, um, and theological uh, cohesion, so he'll put sections on the kingdom of God together. He'll put other things together, regardless of where he would have heard would have heard this because Mark is writing his gospel from conversations and the, the teachings that he's heard from Peter. And so as Peter walks along and decides to share something, Mark's writing it down. And, and then Mark compiles it in a manner that we can access, uh, in, in, like I said, in cohesive sections about Jesus. Mark was both a companion of Paul in his travels, and he was also a companion of Peter. Um, both Paul and Peter are martyred under Roman rule, more than likely under Nero's rule. You may have heard the phrase that Nero fiddled while Rome burned. It came from an ancient Roman historian that said this. Um, 
And, and what happens in this time is Nero came from the political stock of never waste a crisis. And when, when Rome burns, a third of Rome burns in this time, and um, instead of kind of taking ownership for his responsibility and the neglect of his role as Caesar, um, he decides, let me take it out on these Christians. They were already a thorn in his side. So let me shift all the societal focus, not from that we've lost a third of our city and people, but we're going to focus the attention that it was, it was the Christian's fault. And so this kicks off three centuries of religious persecution that begins under this time. And so it ties in in Mark's purpose of writing this gospel that he's, he's writing as his first audience, these Christians in Rome who have learned about Christ through Paul, but now facing the kind of persecution that you and I have not seen we're seeing more that it's always going to be the Christian's fault. We're, we're living in this 21st century that if there's a possible way to blame something on a Christian thought or the Bible, that's going to happen. And he writes to, to this group this, that dealing with this in-your-face kind of persecution and the person in which who has led you to knowing who Jesus is, now he's dead, so now, I think there's, there's two, there could be more, but there's two particular reasons why I, why I think Paul writes his gospel. The first would be to develop and strengthen their relationship with Jesus by not just putting them in the room with him, but literally putting them in his inner circle. Because Peter is in the inner circle of Christ. There are things Peter sees that other disciples don't see. There's things that Peter encounters that, that others don't encounter. And so, so getting them not just in the vicinity of Jesus, who they've only heard about, like you and me, we've only heard about Jesus, we've never met Jesus, and the person most close between us and Jesus, now he's gone, he's dead in Paul. So, so Mark is writing so that they can get this inner circle feeling, this inner circle connection to Christ through his inner circle. And he's doing this so they can develop this faith that's burgeoning inside of them and that it can be strengthened inside of them. The second reason would be to encourage and to embolden, embolden a persecuted church, not just by connecting them to uh, firsthand witnesses to suffer persecution, but literally to connect them to the persecution of Christ. One third of Mark's gospel is dedicated to leading up into the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. One third. Purpose. Christ has suffered and he has died and he lives. You will suffer and you will die and you will live. One third of this gospel to encourage and embolden a church and believers that are going to have to walk through direct opposition to their faith and their life. And yet as real as that is, heaven is more real. As real as that is, and it has to be endured, we will endure it because there is something greater and far longer in its last ability than any of the momentary and temporary things that we have to walk through now. Mark is a fabulous gospel. 
I wrote it this way, that the gospel mark and the other gospels in general, but are anchoring materials for a secure relationship to God and Christ Jesus, providing courage and boldness in times of hardship. Thank God for the gospels. Now, I'm told that Comcast, our internet, has been down through the storm, so, but the notes and the audio will still be available on, um, on the website later. All right, so I entitled this series Amazing Jesus because Mark uses the adjective amazing so often that it's difficult to overlook. Most of the time what we read is how Jesus amazes everyone else, but there are a couple of occasions where everyone else amazes Jesus. And this, this story today is one of those stories where both happens, that, that Jesus amazes people with what he did, and yet there was a small group of guys that amazed Jesus as well. So Mark 2 is our text. Now, it should be a familiar text to our serve team because, because I, I built our serve and leadership culture out of this text. Um, if you're on the serve team, I hope you rec recall some of these. Our, our leadership serve culture comes out of these five decisions. To love first, to go last, to be accountable, to serve as one, and to give your best. And all of these come out of this context of this passage, but this is not where I'm going with the passage today. All right. Did you know that it is possible to amaze Jesus? that you and I have the ability to amaze Jesus. Not amaze as in surprise. We're never gonna surprise Jesus. But we can garner his pride for us. And I know every time you bring up pride in church, it just seems to be a, 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 a landmine word. Um, but we can, there are things, there's ways in which we can move that would garner God's pride for us. I think making Jesus proud of us is an important relational anchoring point, wouldn't you think? Gina's birthday is tomorrow. We visited her parents last week and um, they took us to dinner or took her to dinner. I was allowed to go. And um, they gave her a card and I read the card and in the card, her mother wrote, we are so proud of you. And I'm thinking, here, here is a mom and dad in their 80s Gina's a little younger than that. I won't, I won't reveal her age. And I still saw her dimples. When her mom and dad said, we're proud of you. Um, there is something anchoring when we hear those words of someone that we respect say, we're proud of you. Now, you may have never heard those words. I know my father had, did not have the ability to say those words to my face. Never heard my dad say it. But as the older I got, I realized that that had more to do with him than it had with me. And what I, what I want to build the bridge for you, especially if you've never heard those words come out of someone's mouth to you, that it, that it is possible to hear those words coming from Christ. I know you could go to the passage, well done, my good. I'm, I'm well before that, right? Well done, my good and faithful servant is when I'm about dead and I need to hear it a little earlier than that, <laughs> all right? <laughs> and I'm saying, I'm saying this passage to me demonstrates that that happens. Um, Eric Little, the Olympic runner, highlighted in the movie Chariots of Fire. 
told his sister. Um, his sister felt like that he was ignoring his missionary call to China. And, and in a very touching point of the movement, Eric says this to her. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's an enlightening statement. To feel the pleasure of God is to hear him say, I'm proud of you. And isn't it interesting that it, it wasn't I feel his pleasure when I go to China. It was I feel his pleasure when I operate out of the way in which he has created me for his glory. But when I run, I feel his pleasure. There is, a, there is a distinct challenge in reading about Jesus as a man and understanding Jesus as God. Jesus spends the Gospels, his 33 and a half years or so, he spends them trying to convince them that this bodily person is God. And then the rest of Christianism seems like we're trying to convince everybody that God can be known. And the fact is he's both. He's a transcendent, unfathomable, can't wrap our brain around anything that relates to his divinity. And yet he made himself known. And that he revealed himself to us and that he can be touched by us. This imminent, transcendent Christ can be proud of us. And I can assure you, it doesn't come out of a conforming behavior. That somehow we conform ourselves at such a level that he's proud of who we have become and how we act. And I, I am not dismissing that there is a transforming power of Christ that changes us in such a drastic way that, that we don't look, act, Speak, think like we used to, and I am sure that as we, are, as we are transformed in the image of Christ, that there is this sense of pride, that's my boy, that's my girl, but, I, but there's more to it. Our faith movement is what garners the pride of Christ. When we move towards him or with him in regards to a faith move, it brings, it brings this pride, this pleasure from God. I titled this message today, Making Jesus Proud. Here's the text from Mark 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them, and some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Do your best to put yourself in the room, a room, uh, even if it was this size, let's say there's four times as many people in here. And as Jesus is teaching these people around, the, the roof starts to open up. 
Now we would have to hear mechanical equipment, right, to go through the metal. At, and there's boards being broken up and there's earth that would have been on top probably to, as, a, as an insulation. As, that, that was starting to be torn up and, and stuff starts just kind of dropping down on people's heads. So they're trying to listen to Jesus and then they get hit by something, right? And then now the hole's big enough where there's some light shining through. Now we got light into this dark room and it couldn't have been a little hole I mean, even if he was a little guy, he's not standing up, right? So, so this would have been, had to have been as some scope. And at some point in time, Jesus is going to have to stop talking because there ain't nobody listening, right? Everybody's got their head up. And when it, gets, when it gets wide enough to start lowering this guy down, I always wonder what the guy in the mat's doing. Like, I mean, my, my personality would be like, oh, God, everybody's looking at me, you know? And he's coming down, and, it, and, and Jesus... In Peter's telling of the story, and Mark writing it as being moved by the Holy Spirit, gives us this picture that Jesus isn't looking at the man coming down on the mat. He's looking at the four guys with their heads all poked over the hole. Yeah. Right? And it says he saw their faith. Yes. He saw their faith. All right, let's keep going. Because there's always some Pharisee to mess things up. Boy, that's more truth than I even, even thought. That's <laughs> just going out of my mouth. So now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. It's interesting. I'm going to prove to you I can forgive sins because I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him up off that mat. It's, it's just really an interesting paradoxical passage. I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all, which means they would have all had to part like the Red Sea, right, to get him out of the house. This amazed everyone. And they praise God saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the amazing Jesus. But he does things where you go, I've never seen that ever before. He is amazing. And yet, it's impossible for me to miss in this passage that he was amazed at the faith of all five of those men. Um, I want to pay particular attention that the boy didn't come for sin forgiveness. His four friends didn't show up at the house and say, hey, bud, we need you to be forgiven of your sin. So we want to take you to Jesus. I don't know how much motivation that would have moved him, right? They, they come to him and say, in, 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 in all respect, you would think they would come to him to say, Jesus is back. Jesus is back. We've told you the stories we've heard about Jesus. I believe that if we can get you to Jesus, something's going to happen. So, so I believe the, the boy, the man, however old this, this, this guy is, would have had to have said, okay, if I can get my legs back, I'm going. If I can run and hang up with y'all the way we used to or whatever, I, I, I want that. 
And so here's the motivation. The motivation of coming to Christ in that setting was for something to be taken care of that was broken. It, it was a desperate move. Forgiveness of sin was, was nowhere probably on their radar screen. All right? And I love the fact that just if we can just get to Jesus, that he unlocks doors that we didn't even know were locked. Like, like it doesn't even matter what and how drives us to try to get even in the company of Jesus because that faith move unlocks doors that you don't even know, you don't even know they're locked. And he always, he always is going to deal with the real thing, right? The, the bigger thing. The, the, the thing that brings more life. There was more life brought to him in the forgiveness of sin than there was in the fact that he could walk. His life would have been transformed with just the forgiveness of sin. But we get locked into this world and this earth and we just see our desires and our comforts and, and the things that we would rather not walk through. We see those as the highest priority. And yet if you're a follower of Christ, he's already dealt with your biggest problem. He's already dealt with the biggest priority in my life. He's already given me life after this life. And I get the younger you are, that this life is everything. Been there, done that. Been the kid that prayed, if, Lord, if believing that God would come at any time. I mean, because I grew up in that era where all the movies and books, all the Christian stuff, it was all, Jesus is going to come immediately and you're going to get left behind. All right, and so anytime mom was not in the room, I was always afraid. All right, I didn't, dad, I kind of thought he'd stay, but mom, you know, I want, if I can't get a hold of mom, there's a problem here and I'm it, right? And so, so it was all, well, can you just wait till I, you know, make that team or can you just wait till I get married? Can you wait till I have a kid? Do you wait? You know, there's, there's, there's that kind of thing, but I can tell you that if we live so anchored here, and so anchored, everything is going to plow you under. Every punch in the face is going to be a nonstop bleeding. It's going to be, you're going to be so consumed by everything working out here if you stay so anchored here without viewing this world and this life through the lens of Christ through the lens that he suffered so that we would have life. Not so that we wouldn't suffer now, but that our suffering would not be the end. And that we wouldn't see it in that lens, in that perspective, that our suffering was all there was to what's going on. Any and every move to God is a faith move. Jesus' forgiveness of sins is an indication that we have no idea of the full potency of faith. I, I believe that with all my heart, that we do not have a grasp of how potent faith is. And I defined in that last series that all, all, all faith is is movement. It's movement. It's not um, being convinced without a shadow of a doubt. Um, it is not um, this unshakable, you're not gonna shake my belief in this. That, this is not the faith that amazes Jesus. In some contexts, when I encounter that kind of faith, I kind of feel like they're just trying to talk themselves into a good mood. 
You're, you're, you're not going to hear that kind of faith come out of me. I've got, I've got hit in the face too much. But I will have the faith to keep moving. That's the kind of faith that amazes Jesus. This is the kind of faith that he goes, that's my guy. That's my girl. Come on, come on, keep moving. Not that we're singing zippity doo dah along the way. Not, not that we're somehow, we're just convinced it's just going to all work out in the end. Guys, it, can I say it? It doesn't all work out the way we want to in the end. It does sometimes. Those are great moments. And it does at others. The fact is it does work out in his end. And this, this, this life, as much as I love it, isn't it. It, it isn't it. And, and if we get so locked into everything fitting a nice picture, we will not enjoy him and we won't enjoy what he's given us. Hebrews 11 is known as this, I mean, it's this long chapter in the book of Hebrews. It, it lists in detail some of the Old Testament saints that, um, and, and, and this, the writer of Hebrews is highlighting them. Really, he's highlighting them to say, hey guys, this is the context in which we live. We don't get to see every promise that's been promised. And yet we keep moving. That, that's what's being highlighted in Hebrews 11. So here's a, just two verses out of Hebrews 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Come to him, there's movement, right? And then he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's movement. And he just, here's just one example. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is keeping with faith. By faith, Noah warned about things not seen and holy field built an ark. That's movement. And he built an ark and it hadn't rained. I, I don't know if there was a word for rain. That, that's not how things happen. There was, rain didn't happen. Go build an ark because I'm going to flood it. How? It's going to rain. What's rain? So if it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God, isn't the converse true then? That with faith, we please God. To please God is to feel his pleasure. To please God is he's proud of our movement because our movement is a faith move. It hasn't all been laid out in front of us. It hasn't all been in, uh, uh, dissected out and proven to us in every segment. The movement comes because we believe that when we move towards him, things change. And that in fact, the movement towards him is the win. With him is the win. Not just when everything seems to work out. If it is impossible to please God without faith, with faith, it is to feel his pleasure. Here are three um, faith facts that I've kind of pulled out of this passage. One, your faith movement towards Christ is exponentially more powerful and far-reaching than the right now. And the way I have in the slide, far-reaching than you can estimate. Your faith movement towards Christ or with Christ is exponentially more powerful and far-reaching than you can estimate.
whatever your faith is in Christ that gets you to move, it's going to produce exponentially more than what you can right now wrap your brain around. Second one. You don't need unshakable faith to move Jesus. You just need enough faith to get you moving. Listen, I, I, grew, up, I grew up in this Pentecostal movement. And I grew up that if you just had enough faith. I grew up that if you could just get people to agree with you in faith. Sorry, I just lived too much life. God's sovereign. I, I've got to have faith in his sovereignty. I've got to have faith in his love and how he views it and sees it and not the way I see it. Uh, I've, you know, I've never gotten past the passage where the, the, the dad brings his son and Jesus said, do you believe I can heal him? He said, I believe, help my unbelief. You know what that is? I believe in you and I so desperately want this to happen. I just don't know. This is just bigger than me. This is, I've been down this road before. I, but I've believed enough to come back to this point. That's what I mean. That, that, that if you're not careful, you, you, you get in environments where, God forbid, you ever tell him you're not sure what he's going to do. God forbid you ever say, I just don't know how this is going to turn out. Or God forbid we connect his goodness just to his actions that make things easier on us. The faith move that amazes Jesus is not somehow putting on a face. It's that we get in his. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but what I know is I'm going to be better off with you. And I'm going to bring this to you. And if, if it takes tearing up a roof to get there. I'm going to tear up a roof to get there. Here's the third faith factor. Your movement faith for others moves Jesus. And so what's our language around here? A Lent faith looks like a caring faith. And it's a transformative force. When we have that, there's been plenty of times I haven't had enough faith to move but someone had enough faith to move me, right? I mean, someone shows up at your door and knocks and says, you need me right now. And we like to live life of saying, I don't need anybody. But Jesus will send someone to you and you need them. It's interesting. I've always kind of seen this context as a personal responsibility of going in and getting someone else and helping them to get to Jesus. But in this moment, I believe there's probably people in the room that you have been reluctant to let someone move you towards Jesus. The boy could have said no. When, when, they, when they got to the house, the boy could have said, take me back home. We can't get in. The, the letting down the roof with all these people, I'm like, I'm out. Don't, don't draw that kind of attention to me. And he did, will you let someone else take you to Jesus? 
So all faith movement is opposed. I'm wrapping up. All faith movement is opposed. Satan is determined to block your faith movement. Always going to be determined to block your faith movement. And his line of defense that I can ascertain in my own life is fear and doubt. Fear and doubt. So these are just my observations. Fear and doubt could look like this. Even God can't change my, so if you're speaking to yourself or speaking that you're not going to move on behalf of someone else, right? So even God can't change my or their circumstances. Just look at the facts of the ground. This story is already written. There isn't anything that can be done about this, okay? Here's the truth, is that Jesus isn't confined by the facts on the ground. And then I got cute. I said, he made the ground, right? In fact, he made us out of the ground. So the facts of the ground are quite irrelevant to Christ. In fact, the facts of the ground become ground zero for anything that he's ready to do for us. The doubt, even God can't change those circumstances. I mean, when you hear that, when you hear that in your head, I've heard that in my head. So if you ever heard that in your head, again, the tone is telling you, would God say that about himself? Wow, I never saw that before. Man, that's over my head. Anything, there's not anything I can do about that. All right, so the response is to move Anyway, when you hear God can't even change their or my circumstances. The second one that came to me is you or I, if I'm saying it myself, is I've done nothing to deserve God's grace or favor. God isn't that interested in me. Has anybody ever felt that? Here's the truth. God's grace and favor are gifts to receive, not to earn. The cross was for everyone, especially you, especially me. And your power to move in the face of that doubt is to pivot from your lack to God's love. I mean, uh, I've never done, you know, martial arts or any of that, and, um, but I've, I've watched a bunch of movies growing up. So I know some of you end up doing, doing these mixed martial arts and things, but I've always, I've kind of what I've liked is, is this idea of using, using your opponent's strength to their disadvantage, right? It, it, is, it, is to, it is to transfer their weight and momentum in a way in which you use it against them, right? And so, so when the enemy wants to point a lot of attention to my lack, I just agree. You're right. There is anything about me that would ever warrant the grace and favor of God. I don't deserve any of it, which makes it that much greater to receive. That, that there isn't anything about us, of our actions, in which we could have ever garnered God to come in the flesh and to suffer and die for us and so when the enemy wants to point to your lack just agree yeah boy but isn't God good right I'll agree with you about me but I will disagree with you about him oh his goodness is so good we turn that whole attention from the light on us to the light on him 
And when you hear those voices in your head, I don't, I don't deserve this. I think our response is to move faster. I mean, if the enemy is pulling out these two last cards on you to keep you from moving, boy, you are awful close to Christ. And so don't give, don't give up when you start hearing these things because it is his last line of defense. If he's used everything else to stop you and now he's trying to use you to stop you, this is his last line of defense. And so you, you, push, you push through those. Um, I don't want you to hear this message in a way that says, well, here's a way to unlock the miracle power of God. Because if there is such a way, I have not discovered it in my 50 some years of following Christ. Christ, the faith in Christ isn't about securing a pain-free life. It's about securing eternal life. And when we lose sight of of life in heaven while on earth, we lose perspective while on earth. Some of you know Stephen Sarah Berger. Stephen Sarah Berger founded Calvary Chapel, or uh, sorry, um, Grace Chapel Church. They came out of that Calvary Chapel movement. And it was shortly after we got here, they um, they lost their son um, to a car accident. And um, I think he might have been 17 or 18. Some of you know better than I do. But I just saw an interview with um, Steve and Sarah recently. Sarah has a book called The 11th Hour, A Mother's Journey Through Grief with Eternal Eyes. And Steve said something in that interview that, interview that I had not heard him say before. He said that he was in the shower and had a complete breakdown and was complaining to God all of what his son was going to miss. And he said that he heard this from God. I've already made up for all that he missed here on earth. I've already made up for all. Man, that was stunning to hear. Dad who loses his son. Steve, I know you're concerned about your boy. I know you see all that he has missed living the life, that the only life that you understand. But brother, I got him. There are things that you can't wrap your brain around that he is enjoying in my presence that more than makes up for anything that he would have been able to enjoy here on earth. Steve, Sarah, I got you and I got him. That's, that's, That's living now with that kind of eternal perspective that the kingdom of heaven is worth is worth it all. And I just say that because I don't, I believe that there will be changes in people today when you make a move of faith today. Just like it was if you make that faith move of faith tomorrow. But I, but I, want, you, I want you to grasp that our, our faith moves aren't for outcomes. We can want an outcome, we can pray for an outcome, but our faith moves aren't for outcomes. They're for Him for him and he does some amazing outcomes we heard the story you told about your nephew there, there are amazing stories he does all right last thing four takeaways from mark two here faith movement moves jesus faith movement moves jesus number two the greater the need the greater the speed 
allow the, 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 the depth of your circumstances determine how fast you get to him. Does that make sense? Our love for others moves Jesus on their behalf. You cannot estimate, underestimate your love for others and how they move towards him, them to Jesus. And then salvation is the most amazing miracle. It is by far the most amazing miracle. That our sins, there was only one way for our sins to be forgiven and that was through Christ. No amount of effort, religious effort or generous effort or whatever, no amount of effort, only through Christ. So in our response, on, on just so I, you can, it's easier to kind of help pray in the right way on this side of the altar, you're in a, you're in a desperate situation. You're in a desperate situation and you need God to move in your life. It doesn't matter what move gets you to Christ. Christ will do in you what needs to be done. I've never, I haven't had anybody ever come up to me that I can recall and just say, Pastor, I need Jesus. I need salvation. There's, there's, there's other needs, there's other things that go on in their life, but he will bring the whole package. And maybe your desperation move today has brought you that you really do need forgiveness of sin. I mean, that, that you need the Savior, Jesus. Listen, somehow you broke through who knows what to get here today. And I just want to encourage you, don't, don't leave today on the same mat in which you came in on. Over here, there's someone in your life you know needs someone to carry them to Jesus. That they need someone that's going to come alongside them in faith and they're going to, going to carry the mat for them because they can't carry it themselves. And, and maybe you, this is a family thing. Maybe, maybe, maybe your family knows someone. So maybe it's someone in your family. You want to, you want to pray together. But, but I, enc- I want to encourage that movement here in the last few minutes of our service. That whether you come down here, I know there's not a lot of room where you stand up where you are and you join hands with a couple people and you say, we are going to stand in this moment for this person family member or not we're going, to, we're going to stand and you might not know someone around you and you want to stand with someone turn around if someone ain't doing anything grab them tell them you want them you want to we want them to pray with them all right so um, i didn't get to preach the last two weeks so this is longer than this is longer right so so we're we're running up against some time limits here so i don't want you to kind of wait around i want you to get after it okay so father uh stand with me everyone stand with me father uh, in this moment, Lord, I know there are there are there are needs in the room um, that are are some of them are long-standing, some of them have just popped up. Um, Lord, I know that there. Lord, so I just I just ask that you you move in a way that people will shed the doubts and 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 just and just move towards you may our faith movement amaze you may you do something amazing because of this faith move today in the name of jesus i pray amen let's move 
We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.